Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Today, I'm bringing you part three of my conversation with Jessie Neeland, where she turned the tables and interviewed me. At the end of the last episode, we were talking about the pain of carrying two conflicting beliefs in one brain. First, that it was dangerous to be sexy or feminine, but also second, that I needed to be sexy and feminine in order to have worth and visibility in the world. Today, we're picking up that conversation there and venturing into how I learned the difference between sensual and sexual touch, learning how to determine and voice my own boundaries, and my ongoing battle with body image issues. I desperately wanted companionship. I wanted physical touch. I wanted all of the things that come along with a relationship. And I absolutely didn't believe I could have them, didn't believe I was worthy of them. Um, And so I got in relationship with people who mirrored my dad's um, messaging sure. that, you know, that first boyfriend. So um, I didn't have my first serious relationship until I was 25. And that was also the first time I had sex. And um, that relationship was with a man who was pretty emotionally abusive and was constantly, I mean, the story that I tell uh, is that we were walking down the street. We we were living in Manhattan for a portion of our relationship and uh, we would walk down the street. And if a pretty girl came walking by, he would grab me and, you know, whisper into my ear, I just want to come on her stomach. Whoa. Um, And he had, no matter how many times I told him how hurtful that was, his response was, well, you should be grateful because I want to do that, but I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) As if that was somehow like this great empowering message. Um, Yeah. And he really, really liked um, sex from behind. And it was extremely painful for me um, for a number of reasons. Um, All sex uh, with him was painful. Um, And I understand at the time, I thought it was because I was broken. I thought there was something wrong with me. Now I understand it's because I was never turned on, and therefore I didn't lubricate. Um, But also, when he was behind, I mean, I felt like a subhuman most of the time anyway. When he was behind me, that just reinforced all of that, because I felt like he doesn't even have to look at me. I'm just a hole that he's filling. He's just basically masturbating inside me. 
Um, and that was incredibly emotionally painful. I felt like I wasn't even there. And so I cried. Like, I cried. We were together for two years, and I cried every time we had sex. Oh, my God. And he didn't notice. Um, I think sometimes he noticed because, but he didn't say anything, because there was only one time that he said to me, I wish you wouldn't cry. It makes it less good for me. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, he was a charmer. Wow. Um, so, I mean, that was the worst of the relationships in terms of emotional abuse. But I had a series of relationships where those sorts of interactions were kind of the norm. I was wrong. I was stupid. I was just who they were with until they could be with somebody better. Um and how much when you look at it, do you attribute to the beliefs you had about sex and your body for, for walking into and tolerating situations like that? I didn't know that sex was allowed to be pleasurable. I mean, I heard other women talk about that, but I was like, yeah, that's them. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was broken. So had I had any understanding that I was allowed to have pleasurable sex, that I was allowed to ask for things that I wanted, that I was allowed to say no to things I didn't want. I don't think I would have stayed in those relationships. Um, and I do think that to some extent, it was sex that got me into them because I so desperately wanted to be touched. And I didn't have that sort of intimate touch anywhere else. So I got into bad relationships. Do you find uh, having gone through such a sexually empowering journey that you're able to get those touch needs met in other ways now? Yeah, definitely. Because I now no longer assume that touch, that intimate touch can only happen in sex. Mm. Intimate touch can happen between friends. It can, you know, cuddling with friends does not have to be sexual. It is not sexual, unless you choose to turn it sexual. <laughs> but that gets to be a conversation and sure. a choice. Um, yeah, there are lots of ways that we can get touch that are intimate, but non sexual. And it sounds like even being able to name that and show up in situations asking for it or, or letting yourself have it is a result of saying, I get a role in this. I get to have what I want and I get to ask for what I want and I get to yeah. say no to what I don't want. Like so much of it comes back to agency. Yeah, absolutely. So I found this group here in Portland called Sex Positive Portland, where we have events that are built around touch. And there's this whole leveling system that actually tells you what level of touch is appropriate at this event. Mm. So at a level one event, you can hug someone, but it, it can only be like a platonic hug. At a level two event, you can touch someone in a more intimate way, but you're still not moving sexual energy. You can move sensual energy, but not sexual energy. And that is a distinction that I never even knew existed. Can I hear an example um, of sensual touch that does not move sexual energy? So there was this exercise we did at one event where um, the you 
pulled up the arm of your shirt so that your forearm was uh, was available, and the other person just touched your forearm in any way they wanted. And you know that there's an end point because at the end of three minutes, they're going to stop touching your arm. (laughs) (laughs) This was also when I started to decouple the idea that when I touch someone, it was always for their pleasure. I also learned that I could touch someone for my pleasure. Mm -hmm. I also learned that I could be touched for my pleasure, and that I didn't always have to be performing pleasure for my partner. Because mm-hmm. I think I had always seen my role in sex as giving to my partner for their pe- pleasure, and receiving touch from my partner for their pleasure. Totally. <laughs> I was never a, I was never a factor in that conversation. Totally. Or interaction. I think this is why it's so hard for so many women to uh, let people go down on them is the, the receiving thing is like, well, I mean, I can put on a show if you want to go down on me and I pretend I like it. That's fine. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's really common what you're describing and such a, an important distinction. And I think it's why we end up faking so much, yeah. so many orgasms, because if if we don't believe that we're there for our pleasure, we believe that we're there to fulfill our partner's desire, then we're going to put on an orgasm for our partner so that we can be done because we're not really getting anything out of it. Absolutely. So, uh, so many lessons in that one experience, but uh, one of them I'm hearing is the boundaries thing too. Just the, the freedom that comes from knowing that there's like a time limit and a, and a, a very strictly enforced rule system, you know, nobody's going to be like, Ooh, I'm into this forearm touch. Now I'm going to reach for your genitals because right. that's off the table. Totally. When I was in high school and college, I, again, desperately wanted to be in a relationship, but was scared to let anyone kiss me. Because in my mind, kissing meant sex. Because in television and movies, you get, you know, let's say a soap opera, there's like months and months of buildup, and being pulled apart and put back together and all of the tension and blah. And then you get to the actual kiss. And then there's a cut and they're in bed and they're naked post coital. So I as a younger person, had no concept that there was anything between that first kiss and sex. Mm. I didn't know that. And I'm, I don't want to suggest that foreplay (laughs) is this thing that comes between the kiss and the sex, because I think that's a really outdated idea that, that the touching part is an integral part of sex, Mm -hmm. not just what you do to make the woman happy before you fuck her. Um, But I had no idea that any of that touching and that lovely time connecting was a part of it. Mm. I thought it was just sex intercourse. And I wasn't ready for intercourse because that scared me. So I didn't let anybody kiss me. Yeah, totally. So I, I mean, that's the thing about boundaries, I guess. There's so many different layers to what that boundary is. But the association of... um any sexual or any any intimate touch being immediately connected to defensiveness because you're like, oh, I'm going to have to slow yeah. this down. As soon yes. as I let them touch my forearm, it's my job to play goalie and keep them out. Right. Is 
a very different experience than they have three minutes and when it's up, it's my turn and nobody's touching my <laughs> genitals. Like, Yeah, exactly. So this whole idea that I learned in the sex positive community about not just consent, but being able to, to think about in advance, what are my boundaries? And then express them to a potential partner. And then that partner gets to say, I am in or yeah, that doesn't really work for me. I'm, let's not do this. And then to expect that when we engage, those boundaries are going to be respected. That was a whole new ball game for me. Yeah. I remember there was one night. I had, um, I was at an event. This was, you know, well into my sexual healing journey. I had met a gentleman at an event and he and I kind of vibed. And then we saw each other at a couple of other events. And finally, there was the night when I was like, okay, you know, I, I need to make some forward progress on this. And so we flirted and we ended up making out. And we sat down and we had our safer sex talk, which is a thing mm-hmm. in the sex positive community. Like it's a whole like mapped out thing. And um, I said to him, I don't have intercourse the first time I play with someone. I want to make sure that we have really good connection before we move into intercourse. Because in my head, I'm thinking, if I'm not enjoying the playing, the connection, then I'm not going to enjoy the intercourse. And also, I want to know that somebody can hold a boundary. Yeah, I want to know that they can hear and hold a boundary before I let them go any further. So, you know, I said, I don't want to have intercourse the first the first night together. And he was totally fine with that. And so we, you know, we went and we were fooling around and both of us were like, oh my God, I want to have sex. I want to have sex so bad. And he was like, nope, we made an agreement. We are not having sex tonight. He said, we can have it in the morning, but we're not having sex tonight. And that's what we did. And it was so, I mean, that memory is just so potent for me to make a boundary expect it to be respected, and then experience it being respected, even when I'm like, I want to go beyond my boundary. (laughs) You know, I actually I have a male friend who said that um, having that he he also has these talks in advance with anybody that he um, engages with. And he said one of the sexiest things he's ever encountered is being able to hold a boundary and let her have that experience. He's like, it's one of my favorite things where she's like, you know, I remember what I said, but I don't care. Let's throw it out the window. And he just gets to go, no, oh, like that's wow. what we agreed on. Yeah. And it's, he said, it's the sexiest energy to share with someone because, because she's clearly having an experience like, like you're describing, like there is a, wow, thank you. Like, and then she gets to step into this place of like, maybe trying to playfully convince him otherwise that you never <laughs> get to play as a woman with men. Right. So it also just changes everything into this really fun and uh, sometimes very powerful space. I love that. And it builds the expectation. Mm-hmm. So then the next morning when we did have intercourse, because we had made it through the first night, I was an absolute complete 100% yes. Like there was no question in my system about whether I was a yes or not. Which is also powerful, especially as you're healing all of the the 10% yes uh, experiences that you've had (laughs) throughout life to have a 100% yes is sometimes so rare and so moving. Yeah, absolutely. 
So how do your feelings about your body now affect sex now? Like, where are you at with that part of the journey? Um, it's a really good question. The single most healing thing that I did during my sexual healing journey was discovering being nude in nude space with other people. So as you know, I um, took a trip to a sex resort in Jamaica (laughs) for Mm -hmm. five days. It was a really, really scary comfort zone bashing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't end up having sex or playing with anybody during that time. I just sat in a hammock for five days and allowed myself to be naked with all of these naked people around me. And what I learned during that time was that I was not laughed at mm-hmm. for being overweight. Sure. I was not told to go inside and put your clothes back on. You don't belong here. I got to see women of all sizes and all shapes being looked at as objects of desire, um, being seen as sexual beings. And all of that was deeply, deeply healing for me. Um, When I joined Sex Positive Portland, um, that is one of the things that happens in those spaces is there's a lot of communal nudity as part of the events. And that has been so deeply nourishing to me. I then got into a relationship with a partner who is not entirely comfortable being in those spaces and is not comfortable with me being in those spaces without him. And so um, I have been in this sort of back and forth place with my body image of having done so much healing and logically, rationally knowing the truth. And also to some extent having um, taken myself out of those spaces that were so deeply healing. Um, and so there are times when I'm, I am really experiencing the blowback mm. of that. Um, he and I are, I mean, we are still together. We've been together for about two years and um, we're starting to make some forward progress with him entering those spaces with me. So I, I have hope that that's going to become a more regular part of my life and my experience again. Um, but it is very much a like, I don't want anyone to hear this and be like, Oh, she did the work and now she's healed. Because right. <laughs> that's not the case. Right. Yeah, it sounds like, like anything else, I guess, um, healing body and sexuality stuff is not a destination. Oh, so true it's a, it's a continuous evolution. And so you found something that allowed you to feel really liberated and free. And and honestly, all of the stories you're telling me, it sounds like the big shift you made was from people like me, whatever that means, um, don't get to be sexual beings yeah, to, I get to be a sexual being. Mm-hmm. And then I imagine that there's, you know, those are deep, long, old messages that when you don't keep up the practices that allowed you to get to that place, can, you can sometimes be like, wait, but, <laughs> right. but other people are more deserving or it's like somehow gets all messy again. Absolutely. What do you do when you experience um, those old messages about your body 
uh, coming up and getting in your way or inhibiting you in terms of sex now? Uh, not always well. <laughs> um, I think probably the the best thing that I know how to do is to go into radical honesty with my partner mm-hmm. and say, here's the story I'm telling myself right now, which is, you know, something I picked up from Brene mm-hmm. Brown. <laughs> the story I'm telling myself right now is that I am too heavy and you're going to you know, be disappointed in me. Or I, at one point, he started um, talking about going to the gym more seriously. And I had some nerves around that. um, Because he has gained some weight since we got together. And that has actually been comforting to me. Because I'm like, Oh, well, he's not super skinny either. So it's okay if I'm not super skinny. And so he started talking about going to the gym. And, and I, had to go into my radical honesty place and say to him, I am the story I'm telling myself is that if you go to the gym, and you get into really good shape, that you're going to be judging me for not being in that shape. And that really scares me. When I can go to that level of radical honesty, he can respond in a really loving affirmative way, because he really does love my body exactly the way it is. The problem is when I don't go to that place, and instead, I like do the manipulative, like, give me compliments thing, like, don't you love me? (laughs) (laughs) And then I never get what I need from that. Never, (laughs) never. Oh, so familiar, though. (laughs) You know, that is so powerful that reframe from uh I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of passively trick him into making me feel loved and comfortable again to uh here's why I'm feeling uncomfortable and, and let that be just more direct and honest let's leave it here for now in two weeks we'll pick back up with me explaining How in the world I ended up doing a six-month solo road trip around the United States. And I'll talk about the sexual healing I never expected to find while on the road. if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month 
might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing. There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. And now, am I normal? 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 Hi, Leah. I'm wondering if I'm normal because I want sex five times a week or six or seven, but my husband barely wants it once a week. Aren't men supposed to have higher sex drives than women? Is there something wrong with me or him? Am I normal? Thank you, dear caller, for being brave enough to send in this question. Yes, you are completely normal. And so is your husband. There's a cultural story, I would say a cultural mythology, that men want sex all the time, and women rarely want it. So men are constantly trying to wear women down, and women are constantly trying to beat men off. Not only is this not true, it's dangerous, because it leaves people with exactly the questions you have here. What's wrong with me that I don't fall in line with gender norms? Libido is as individual as the amount of hair you grow or how tall you are. There are men with very low sex drives. There are women with very high sex drives and everything in between. And they're all normal. They're also all common. But because we have this cultural myth that says it should be men high, women low, the people who fall outside those perceived gender norms think they're weird or perverted or broken or abnormal, and therefore rarely talk about what they're experiencing. And worse, if they go to the doctor to ask about it, they're unlikely to get useful information because the vast majority of doctors are not trained in sexual health. They might look at a man's low sex drive and assume that it's a problem and that they need to fix it medically, uh, perhaps using testosterone supplements to boost the sex drive. But a more helpful first question might be, are you actually interested in having more sex? Or do you think you're supposed to be interested in having more sex? Because we don't need to artificially boost the sex drive of a person who's doing it just because they think they're supposed to. 
Libido and sexual desire exist on a spectrum. At one end of the scale are people with very high sexual desire, people who, like you, want sex daily or even more. A few notches down the scale are people like me, who are content with sex once or twice a week, or maybe even once or twice a month. Then you take another few steps along the scale, and we find demisexuality. Now, let me say, everything I'm going to talk about from here on out are umbrella terms, and I'm giving the most general sort of explainer on them. The most commonly talked about version of demisexuality is a person who only experiences sexual desire when they feel actively connected and emotionally engaged with a potential partner. So this person probably won't want to have sex until they're fully emotionally engaged. And during the relationship, sexual desire may only show up in moments where they feel especially connected with their partner. I was actually just checking in with a former client who identified herself as demisexual during our work together. I told her I was working on this explanation of the sexual spectrum, and she offered this take. Quote, I think I fall in the demisexual category. The concept of a one-night stand has never appealed to me. Even within my relationships, my sexual desire is 100% connected to the emotional state of the relationship. And when I feel emotionally disconnected from my husband, it's very difficult to engage in anything sexual. So next on the scale, we find gray asexuality. Again, there are lots of ways this can manifest, but to keep it simple, you can think of gray ace, as it's often called, as someone who only experiences sexual desire rarely or under certain conditions. And then finally, at the far end of the scale are asexuals, or people who experience little to no sexual desire at all, and sex has minimal or no importance in their lives. The cultural narrative would say that there is something wrong with them that needs to be fixed so that they can participate in all the joys of normal partnered life. This is complete and utter bullshit. Asexual people can have full and complete and fulfilling lives that doesn't include sex. They may desire romantic relationships, but prefer there be no sex. And those relationships can be successful, as long as both parties enter with full knowledge and understanding. And or they may be kinky, meaning that they desire the sensation that comes with kinky play, but they're not interested in genital play and penetration for the sake of sexual pleasure and orgasm. There are also people who are sexual, but aromantic, meaning that they don't desire a romantic connection, but they do still desire sex. There are so many ways that sexuality and demisexuality and gray ace and asexuality can present. And please hear me, they are all normal. Okay, so now back to your original question. Are you normal for having a higher sex drive than your husband? Yes. Is there something wrong with him because he has a lower sex drive than you? No. But I'm not going to sugarcoat this. 
a significant mismatch of libidos in a long-term relationship can be really challenging. The first step in dealing with it is having a frank and shame-free conversation about each of your sexual needs and desires. Then you can go about deciding how everyone gets their needs and desires fulfilled. There are couples in this situation who have decided that the higher libido partner can utilize sex workers or have a friends with benefits on the side. And again, hear me, this is a workable solution if all parties involved are open and honest about the parameters and boundaries they're comfortable with. You may need a third person to help you negotiate what that's going to look like for the two of you. And I'd be happy to have that conversation with you. Other couples may find that masturbation or mutual masturbation or masturbation while being held can fill a significant void with occasional sexual interplay that's really connected going the rest of the way. There are options. But as always, the first step is to open the lines of communication so you both know exactly what you're dealing with. All right. Do you have an am I normal question? Call 720-GOOD-SEX and leave me a message. It can be up to two minutes long, and I may answer it in a future podcast. Next week, you'll hear my interview with Lois, a 70-year-old postmenopausal woman who carried shame into her adulthood as a result of childhood sexual abuse. In her second marriage, she discovered healing and had wonderful sex with her current husband. She talks about participating in free love during the 60s and how her sex life with her husband has dwindled as they've gotten older. I'm excited to finally get some older voices represented in these interviews, and I look forward to sharing this conversation with you next Thursday. In the meantime, do you have a friend who needs to hear honest talk about sex? please share the show with them. And until next week, here's to your better sex life.